Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the culinary wonders of urban New Jersey with a tour through Newark. We speak to Frank Mentesana at Phillips Academy Public Charter School. This idea of family style and made from scratch lunches continues to be a bit of an anomaly in the city. We also hear from Gil Speyer from All Points West Distillery. Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history. And we'll tour Aero Farms, the world's largest indoor vertical farm. We're growing using 390 times more productivity than field farming and 95% less water. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network to be amazed at the wonders of Newark. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. So right now, it's actually a very nice, sunny day in Brooklyn, and you can see spring is just around the corner. Very different from like a week or two ago. Actually, maybe three or four weeks ago, I was at the farmer's market with the guests that I'm speaking with today, and it was snowing. So very different scene right now, and hopefully we'll see some asparagus popping out and ramps and all that good stuff. But she is the author of a book that is, it, it deals with going to the farmer's markets and shopping for food of all sorts. And uh, she's also the food director at Bon Appetit. She's also occasionally or frequently the host of Bon Appetit's Foodcast. So she's a fellow podcaster here. And without further ado, it's Carla Lolly Music. Hi. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I know it's a very busy week because your first cookbook just dropped last week. True story. Came out on Tuesday. Wow. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. And this was a long this is a long project of yours that you're working on. Right? Yeah, apparently books take forever to make. <laughs> I didn't know because I make magazines and publish uh-huh. recipes online every month. And like, you know, sometimes we ship the magazine and then we get the the paper copy of the magazine. Like, it's almost too soon. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not ready to see yeah. that. But the book is like, yeah, it was like a year and a half from beginning to end. A lot of recipes in here. Yep. 70 recipes, seven techniques and a bunch of um, strategy. Let's pin that thought about the techniques, because I definitely want to get back to that. Okay. Um, But it's called Where Cooking Begins, Um, Uncomplicated Recipes to Make You a Great Cook. So so this is about how to make cooking work for you, and where does cooking begin? So for me, when I was working on the idea for the book, at the beginning, you know, you just have an idea for a cookbook that's like, oh, it's just like the food that I love to make and Mm -hmm. I love to cook. And so, yeah. And then really sort of taking a bunch of steps back from there and realizing that one of the things that had bothered me about when people talk about food for a long time was um, you would hear people say, especially in the slow food movement, like, um, you know, if you start with great ingredients, you know, you can make great food. Uh And that, like, good food, if you start with, you know, quality ingredients, it's all good. You don't have to do anything to it. Don't fuss with it too much. And I feel like we just accepted that as, like, Mm -hmm. right, of course, it would Mm -hmm. matter. But I didn't feel like recipes and cookbooks and food advice in general would 
back up to talk about, well, like, let's really talk about the ingredients. Like, it's true. Before you get into a recipe, you have a list of ingredients. But before you can do anything, you have to get those ingredients into your home. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, really interested mm-hmm. in that part how of it. How do you like, it? Yeah. Yeah. Where, how do you shop? Where do you shop? How often do you shop? And how do you, does your, you know, your... Um, skill as like a food picker outer influence how you eat because Mm -hmm. they really go hand in hand like you can't cook anything unless you go get the ingredients right and I feel like we weren't really helping people with that part of it when I go to the farmer's market and this was you know part of the inspiration for me farmer's market or wherever I happen to be shopping right a lot of times people will stop me and go like what are you going to do with that? You know, uh-huh. or like, what is this? Like uh-huh. I've had people stop me while I'm picking something out and go like, oh, what, like, how are you, what are you going to do with that? This you artichoke know? or something. Yeah. yeah or yeah. like kohlrabi mm. was always kohlrabi's like <laughs> all, this, the like poster child of confusing <laughs> farmer's market ingredient. Right. You know, people are always be like, I want to buy that because it looks really yeah. cool, but I don't know what to do with it. Uh-huh. And I realized that that kind of basic question was something that I could answer both in, you know, sort of looking at these three different angles on it in the book. One is like just straight up talking about shopping, which mm-hmm. my book publisher was like, can we not talk about shopping so much? I was like, but no, <laughs> really into it. Yeah. Huh. They're like food, grocery shopping's not like sexy. Uh-huh. And like people don't want to buy a grocery shopping book. And I was like, well, it's not going to be that. But also like when I talk to people, they do want to talk about shopping yeah. and how to get food into the house. So I sort of looked at, edit through the shopping lens then also through like basic technique like pre-recipe you Mm -hmm. know before you even get into a recipe just understanding the mechanics of like the basic ways to cook and then through these like more layered right um, recipes yeah I think it's interesting what you said about like the shopping experience is so um cold and unless you're at a farmer's market there's no human you know to talk to about this food vegetable whatever it is and a lot of the times we shop alone, very mm-hmm. solo. So we're very siloed in this mission, and it's worth discussing. Yeah, that's interesting. Now when I shop, I notice people are like have podcasts, or they're listening oh, to their okay. phones while they're huh. walking through a store. Yeah. I mean, I do think that farmer's markets are, are more social. They're set up to kind of be face-to-face with your vendor. But I also really like going to smaller grocery stores where you can interact with the people who work in the store, like always at the butcher counter, always at the fish counter, even in the produce section. Sometimes if you're seeing food that like maybe is close to being um, depleted in the display, like asking the people who are stocking it, like, hey, do you have more? Is there more? Are there more herbs somewhere? Mm. And it might just be that you're going to then get to sort of get the pick of the pick of the fresh box when it comes out. Um, So I think there are opportunities to interact with with shopkeepers more. That's a good tip. And also seeking out those places where you do have more interaction with the vendor. uh, as as discussed, like we took a little shopping trip a few weeks ago for the story for Taste Magazine. We went to a small place, you know, Paisano's Butcher Shop and after another. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's a matter of being choosy. Yeah. But um, also, I mean, you're a busy person. You're food director of Bon Appetit. You have two kids. Yep. So how do you make time for this? So the flip side of this sort of 
what we're talking about, going to the store and kind of finding the ingredient that you want or, you know, even just going and seeing what there is without a plan. The other side of it that I've adopted a a really long time ago after my first son was born was a a great deal of comfort with online food shopping. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really started out of necessity because of time. I used to go, so I grew up in New York City. I grew up going to Fairway. Okay. And even after my first son was born before there was Fairway in Brooklyn, I used to like drive up to the Harlem store and do these giant shopping trips and then come home and put everything away. And, you know, it was how I understood how I had always shopped, you Mm -hmm. know, like I wanted to pick everything out in person and felt very strongly about that. Make a big list and go and go to this one supermarket and like, you know, get it done. Right. And then I started to realize I was spending like half of my weekends either, you know, shopping on one day and then cooking all day the next. And it was my way of kind of making sure that we were take all taken care of that Mm -hmm. the, the fridge was full and there were meals for the week. And it was, it was, it worked in that sense, yeah. but it also, it's just started to be like a really big drag. Like yeah. I realized that my free time when I wasn't working, cause I was a full time, you know, I have a career, job, I had a full time yeah. job and then you have the time on the weekends to be with your family. And I was like, I'm, but I'm spending that free time shopping right. and cooking. So that's when I kind of like turned to online grocery mm-hmm. for all of the things basically that I didn't feel strongly about picking out in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that means like anything that comes in a box, a bag, a jar, um, or you know, uh, a can. Mm-hmm. So everything from canned tomatoes to olive oil to kosher salt. Like I, I realized I don't need to physically go pick that stuff out anymore. I can let somebody else bring that to my door. Um, and I've figured out, you know, over time how to make that work economically, but also in the time that I got back. Um, I really was able to then devote to actually cooking instead of shopping, schlepping, putting yeah. stuff away, and Ugh. then cooking. Right. I could right. just do a much smaller shopping trip and then cook. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the, this is like coming from sort of conventional wisdom of the day. You know, make lists, plan ahead, prepare mm-hmm. this food, make sure you get XYZ, and cook for the whole week. But it sounds so sterile to me too not fun (laughs) so my problem with meal planning I don't know I I know that it works for some people for me it never did because it it's like today and tomorrow I pretty much know what's going to be going on and then after that like anything could happen yeah so for me to plan a meal that's like four days away from now either (laughs) I'm not going to be in the mood for the thing that I thought I was going to want you know or Something's going to come up and I'm going to end up actually having to stay late that night or uh, get an invite somewhere. And then the food that you bought or planned for is then has a greater risk of going to waste. So it just like strategically didn't work for me. Um, The only time that meal planning really worked was when I had infants Mm -hmm. and I was making all their baby food Mm -hmm. and pureeing it and and cryovacing it and putting it in the freezer. Okay. But other than that, and that was like a way to have a lot of food that was it was when they were like eating purees that was like baby food yeah they're, they after, weren't yeah after choosy. that you're dealing with like um perishability storage and waste yeah so you feel like you've um not only like had more 
less waste in the kitchen and had more fun with it. Do you feel like it changed your cooking as well? Yeah, I definitely, I think it really did change my cooking because I was able to be more intuitive and uh, more seasonal Mm -hmm. and just really cook what I was in the mood for. Um, Last night, for example, we, one of my sons was having a sleepover. My other son was going to go out, but then he ended up staying home mm-hmm. and uh my husband was like we're we need protein oh and i was like whatever you want to get like he was going to be swinging by a store in our neighborhood i was like whatever you're in the mood for he's like i'm in the mood for steak i was like great pick up some steaks so he bought and i was like i think we have i kind of think we have everything else we'll, i'll make it happen like a potato yeah. greens yeah so he brought home three nice steaks mm-hmm. and uh i had polenta in the freezer i had a bag of like nice polenta Perfect. in the freezer i had um a bunch of different types of lettuce that mm-hmm. just needed to be like perked back up nice i had lemons and dijon mustard to make a vinaigrette and we had parm to put mm-hmm. in the polenta because that's like another page pantry staple so like from one item at one store which was the steak that he was just in the mood for a steak yeah we had this like full you know yeah we were dynamic yeah. dinner and we ate like every last slice of steak that's also <laughs> very satisfying to me like buying the right amount yes and finishing it right because Food that you eat at the time, like you don't have to then get into leftovers. I think that cooked leftovers have a better chance of being eaten than uncooked. Like Uh things that you just never got around to cooking at all. Right, 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 yeah. Um, But I'm also a big believer in labeling leftovers. Mm, That's a good good one. Yeah, I hate to have um, leftovers that I plan to make use of. And then I'm just not in the mood for it. I make something else. Exactly. It's like a cycle. So totally making just enough is a is a good yeah yeah cue. much better. And I love how this book really um, it takes you through many techniques, but also um, many different creative, unconventional dishes that you know surprised me a bit mm. because you know having written for Bon Appetit, which is uh, a great food magazine, but it's you know it's uh, it's, a, it's an American food magazine mm-hmm. where you'd see, um, I guess it's a tastemaker of the day. But these are, I don't know, how how would you describe the difference? Because some of these look a lot more sort of like impromptu. And, yeah, um, the, the idea simple. behind the book, because I have been at Bon Appetit for so long, was really to focus on the food that I cook at home. And yeah. the food that I cook at home as much as I love the recipes that we developed for the magazine, the food I cook at home is just, um, it's, it's different. It's a little, um, like sometimes a little bit more whimsical. It could be like kind of more random or, um, like combining things that are just closer to my, my like personal tastes. Um, and I think that when I'm not at work because of my work, I eat, I eat whatever we're working on. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it's, in, if, if we're working on our Thanksgiving issue in the middle of the summer, I'm eating a lot of mashed potatoes and turkey, which is not the thing I feel like eating in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. And in the spring, we're already talking about summer issues, yeah, yeah. you know, which I'm just like <laughs> out of sync. Right. And also, you know, I could be eating cookies for a dessert story or cakes because we're working on that. Mm. Um, we just developed a recipe. I didn't, but Chris Morocco, who I work with, just developed a cookie for a, a BA's best chocolate chip cookie for okay. for digital that's coming out. And he made chocolate chip cookies like every day for... <laughs> 
three weeks straight. <laughs> and so because of that, the food that I eat on my own time is like just what, what I feel. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And it's just mm-hmm. like what I feel like I've been missing. So there's just I a see. lot of, a lot of it is produce driven, simply prepared um, proteins. Like I love greens and braised beans. greens and poached egg. Yeah, that was a farmer's market day when mm-hmm. the it was definitely spring. There was still a little chill in the air, but the uh, Swiss chard was one of the first greens that had come back on the scene. Mm-hmm. And I bought like two gigantic bunches because I can't, sometimes can't control myself. And then yeah. I got home and it I realized... down to something small. Well, yeah, exa- <laughs> that's exactly. I right. got home and yeah. realized like I don't even have room to put this away. So yeah. not, I should just I cook, cook it. it and it'll take up a lot less room. <laughs> right. Um, so I braised the Swiss chard stems mm. and the leaves. And then... Um, Beautiful. Yeah, just dropped a poached egg on that. I love it. And yeah. that's a recipe now yeah. in this book. Oh my gosh, we have to talk a lot more about some of these recipes and the techniques, uh, which Carla goes through in detail. Um, But we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break and we'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States. But that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave-Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Hey there, seems like you like podcasts. My name is Eli Sussman. I'm a chef and restaurant owner, and I've got a great podcast right here on Heritage Radio Network called The Line. On my show, I interview chefs and restaurateurs about the trajectory of their career. It's a one-on-one conversation where we talk about where it all started to where they are cooking now and everything in between. You can find The Line everywhere you get your podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back chatting more with Carla Lolly Music. Her new book, her first book, is called Where Cooking Begins, just out now from Clarkson Potter. So we were just saying that um, this book is chock full of some techniques in the beginning where you can sort of mix and mash match so like <laughs> or mix and mash yeah <laughs> mix and mash mix it and then mash it but also don't forget the salt and pepper so you call this section quote unquote salt and pepper cooking yeah what does that mean so i would say that 90 percent of the things that i cook are seasoned with salt and pepper olive oil and maybe some lemon and that's it and having been a line cook um, for a number of years mm-hmm. before I got into food media, a lot of the things that you make on the line are seasons with, seasoned with salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. I think that um, there's a lot of pressure on home cooks to think that you need this like full roster of other seasonings right. to make anything taste good (laughs) and what I was trying to do in that section salt and pepper cooking is really just get down to like it's it's 
simply seasoning something properly, like yeah. generously, the mm. right amount of salt, the right amount of pepper, but then cooking it in the way that is like right for the ingredient mm. is a great way to cook anything. Mm-hmm. So if you understand the basic techniques and you understand how to season something just in a straightforward way, like a lot of the time, most of the time, that is all you need to know. Yeah. And I think that if you look at recipes that have lots of other ingredients or lots of other seasonings, if you get rid of kind of all of the extras, you will get back to that essential thing. Mm. There's in every recipe, there's a technique for how to cook the ingredient that's in the recipe and the seasonings that just make it taste like a better version of itself. Right. So we're talking sauteing, pan roasting, steaming, um, simmering, simmering, there's uh, slow roasting, yeah, slow roasting, um, very simple techniques. But I'm looking at this picture of the zucchinis that were sauteed and then they're sprinkled liberally with salt, pepper and olive oil. It looks so good. I just know that's going to taste so good. Yeah. <laughs> like looking at that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, with the exception of maybe sous vide cooking and, you know, uh, yeah. like one other modern um, invention. Frying, maybe. Yeah, yeah, the ways to cook things have not changed, changed. in yeah. hundreds of years. And and as a cook, just sort of understanding that everything gets back down to this, like, these, like, six or seven ways to cook right. anything. Right. There's, like, wet heat, and there's dry heat, there's fast, uh-huh. and there's slow. Love and it. then that's that kind of covers it all. And you do proteins, you do vegetables, you do grains in this section. Yep. So it's like pretty much everything you can possibly cook. Yeah. Except for the things that are like, you know, fresh fruit, you don't cook. But uh, I have peaches. Oh, have peaches? There's peaches oh. and steaming. You <laughs> nice. can saute. Um, you can saute stone fruit. You can simmer, you know, uh, fun. tomatoes or fruits, right? I love it. So what is an overrated seasoning? Because you probably, I don't know, have seen a lot of trends going around. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of coming out the other side of smoked paprika. I was going to say that. I really like smoked paprika, so not to (laughs) knock it. (laughs) But it, like, became the spice of the year. I think, like, McCormick was, like, spice of the year, (laughs) smoked paprika. And there was, like, smoked paprika and everything. It's one of my core spices, actually, so uh, I shouldn't. Um, and I think Mon maybe like a more healthiest trend, uh, turmeric, uh-huh. like went from all of these Nowhere, things, right, have all, been like yeah. around for thousands mm-hmm. of years. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, have you heard of turmeric? Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> and then it was like in everything. Turmeric is actually like a very kind of touchy spice to deal with. I think it's like incredibly bitter and has like a lot of just earth kind of dirt flavor to yep. it. And people didn't understand that you can't just sprinkle turmeric turmeric raw on something it has oh, to be yeah. it Co- has to be cooked out yeah. it has to be bloomed otherwise it just tastes like licking like dirt <laughs> so yeah i feel like turmeric got over overdone everybody just thought it would be good if you added turmeric to, to it anything yeah that's no, not true yeah at yeah. all <laughs> i remember once i made like a tagine i had too much turmeric in yeah. it and i was like what in the world is this flavor oh too much turmeric the first time I cooked with turmeric was when I was a line cook and we had this um, onion dish. It was like an onion soubies where you cooked out the onions for a really, really long time, mm. but they never took on any color. So they just become this like incredibly silky kind of pudding like um, texture. And it was cooked with turmeric. You would add the turmeric towards the end and it would like bloom with the onions. And I didn't really understand 
turmeric uh-huh. then. And I remember one day I got to work late and like didn't have enough time to cook them, to cook the onions down enough. And then I had to like add the turmeric in at the last second. And it was just like the onions were crunchy and the turmeric had this like raw flavor to it. <laughs> Perfect. And I remember just being like, you're like on, you're just like in service. You, there's your backs <laughs> against the wall, you know? And I remember I sent the onions up to the front to the pass where the sous chefs would like assemble the dishes. And I just remember the sous chef turning around and looking at me and he was just like, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted in my life. And I was just like, oh my God, he's right. And I didn't touch turmeric for like, he, I was so scarred. I was like, that's it. I just have a bad experience with turmeric. That's really great. Yeah. So where does eating out fit into your lifestyle nowadays? Um, it's funny. I'll eat out maybe one or two nights a week, you know, for work or mm-hmm. social that's when I get to see friends when you're when you're married with older kids what mm-hmm. starts to happen is instead of having like date night with my husband we actually take turn we'll end up taking turns during the week mm-hmm. like I've got a thing on Wednesday that's like so he, he'll be the one at home oh fun. so that's like yeah. during the week is times when I can catch up with friends or meet people or go on a work thing and then on the weekends like at least one of the nights we We'll go out for family for mm. family dinner. Yeah. Nice. So um, yeah, I was trying to decide tonight on my way over here. Oh. I was like, am I going to go to the meat hook after this and pick up something for dinner? Or are we going to go out tonight? Ah, yeah. Hmm. Trying to decide. Trying to decide. Yeah. And then when I'm traveling, if I travel for work or yeah. to report something or I'm going on a book tour next month and I'm really looking forward to like going to places that I just keep read- reading about mm-hmm. and seeing in my f- other friend in my friend's feeds yeah, and I yeah. haven't been to yet. Nice. Yeah. So do you find that you're, since you have all these skills and experience cooking online, um, do you find that you're a bit more critical when you get a dish that isn't cooked just right? So. Um, it depends where I am. If yeah. I'm in someone's home, I'm so happy that yeah. someone is cooking for me that I really don't, I overlook all, all of that. It doesn't even occur to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when, yeah, I have certain things in restaurants I actually am a couple of the things that bother me. Like I want hot food, hot. I've always been like that. Mm -hmm. So in restaurants that maybe do like very elaborate plating Mm -hmm. and your food is never like quite hot when it gets to you. (laughs) That's a pet, that's a pet peeve happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then places that just um, like, don't make you feel taken care of, Mm. you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, no, it's funny. It's not, we are, yeah. It's not too bad. No. I find that um, whenever I cook and I make a mistake, I'm much more easy on myself than if I were in a restaurant. Definitely. <laughs> right? I'm the same. Yeah. I'm like, well, it didn't come out quite how I imagined, and I overcooked it a little bit, uh-huh. but it's uh, what we're having. Right. But it's part of the game of, like, trying new things and being, you know... Being adventurous Definitely. when you choose ingredients. And then when you're at home, you can just always go back into the kitchen, get more salt, pull some sriracha out of the fridge. Like, okay. <laughs> if, <it's, laughs> if the chicken's overcooked, like, yeah. we'll serve it with some Continue. mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carry on. Right, right. There's always, like, just endless things you can do when tweaking ingredients. And do you think that, like, the novelty of discovering something new, trying a new technique with a new vegetable, say, um, that you haven't done before is part of the 
the fun of cooking. Definitely. Like the risk of failure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I took, um, I, there were dishes in the book that I kind of dreamt up for the book hmm. and wasn't sure that they would work. And some did and some didn't. One dish that was successful was, uh, there's a charred beet with, um, grapefruit salad. Oh, yeah. And that looks really interesting. Char that was beets. kind of a way, like, I don't love the texture of fully cooked beets that are, like, either roasted until they're totally tender or boiled. Like, they they get a little slippery. Yep. Um, and then raw beets don't have enough of their sweetness, uh-huh. you know, kind of coaxed out of them yet. So even there's a, they're in the shaved salad you know, heyday yeah. of a couple of years ago, Mesh like sticks, beet was yeah. always like, I'm it's a, a little fan. intense, like texture wise and in the flavor. So I was trying to figure out like, well, can I like split the difference somehow? So I came up with this technique for um, basically searing wedges of beets as though they were scallops. So wow. sort of like one, the cut side, like a flat side down in a hot skillet for like a kind of a long time. So mm. they get charred on that surface, but they hang out long enough to um, soften and tenderize all the way through. But they're still that. a little crunchy. Yeah. Um, and the and there's kind of like a range of textures from the, the side that was face down yeah. against the pan, you know, Crisp. through the middle yeah. and then out to the outer edge. So, and it worked. Like, I didn't know if it would. And when I was doing it, I was like, it's kind of smoky. Uh, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? But it's like, um, but it totally did. And it wow. was it was kind of fun to just sort of think through it. Like, intellectually, that should mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. But I've never done it before. So let's, like, see what happens. There you go. Yeah. What about a failure? Any big failures? Um, there were a couple of dishes that just didn't turn out the way I wanted them to. Yeah. Um, one was a dish that I actually really love and would continue to cook. Um, a, it's a lentil soup with kale and sausage that I've made a million times. But when we were on Sounds set, for today, yeah, when we were on set, the um, uh, our the food stylist assistant who was doing like seven, you know, prepping sort of seven different recipes at once, instead of adding eight cups of water, she mm -hmm. added. 10 quarts like it was just one of these things where Whoops. like you know she, I think it was like a 10 quart pot and oh, it was okay. eight cups of water but when because she was doing so many different things the wrong, so I remember yeah. like we were going to take a picture of it and I remember looking in the pot and being like wow why does it look like you know you question yourself so much oh, when no. you're doing these yeah. things so I was like why does it look like that like I I just assumed I screwed up, you yeah. know, like oh, that's so funny. something that I just, maybe I just really like it. Cause it's like this home cooked lentil soup. Mm. And then we're looking at, looking at kind of like how many cups of water did you put in realized what had happened? Uh -huh. And we tried, we tried to take the water out and we tried to like do it. And the photo just didn't, <laughs> it just never got there <laughs> and it just didn't look good. Yeah. And I knew that like, I, I I was it was really important to me to have a photo of every recipe. Every recipe. Yeah, I really feel like if there isn't a photo, people are not going to cook it. So why even put the recipe in? And so that was one of those where I was like, True. no one will cook this recipe because yeah. that photo doesn't do it justice. Yeah. So um, we cut the soup, but then I re um, 
I rejiggered it a little bit and it, we published it on, on um, oh, Epicurious. Perfect. So, you know, even recipes that die, like, come back to life. Can be saved. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see um, more recipes of yours come to life. Thank you. And thank you so much. I can't wait to hear um, what you do with dinner tonight, too. So, yeah. so maybe follow uh, Lolly Music on Twitter, Instagram. Is that those the, are the ones? Yeah. yeah. No, okay. no Facebook for me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And I uh, hope everyone checks out Where Cooking Begins. We'll see you next week on Earwords. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.